Hey, this is Jordan, and you're listening to Digital Warmth. My guest today is Alex Osuch, also known as DJAO and Sevens, which, if you're going to search it, is written as the number seven, repeated seven times. Seven, 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 seven. I've been a fan of his music for a long time, and more recently a fan of his podcast, Prep the Cup, and we get into both those things and more. So this is actually the second time we talked, because we had a conversation a couple weeks before, but there were some recording issues that made it unusable, so we did it again, and I really enjoyed it both times. Uh, one other note, AO plays some tracks off of his computer during the recording, so if the mix doesn't sound as crystal clear as it normally does during those parts, that's why. Thanks for listening, and feel free to email me at digitalwarmthpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Twitter. So uh, since we last talked, one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you was, uh, I know you were talking about playing that underage rave in Seattle, and I'm real curious about how that went. Uh, it sounded like a fascinating experience. Dude, it was tight. <laughs> uh, it was uh, more, it was less, uh, it was not as well attended as I had anticipated it being based on the last time I went. I think part of that had to do with the fact that the headliner, um, do you know who Foxy is? No. He's like a LA, um, LA DJ. He's pretty good. He's a super nice guy. I had a lot of fun hanging out with him. Um, and uh, he was the headliner and he's a little bit older. Like he's kind of like the generation after us, I would say. Um, whereas, you know, the, the homies that are coming to the show are probably three generations removed from us, I would say. So, um, yeah. Whereas last time the headliner was just like a straight up like dude who was just super in the cut. Um, I think, uh, was it Machine Girl? No, who was it? Uh, I can figure it out. But anyway, uh, it was just um, about half as many people, but still super, super fun and super homied out. And I played a lot of Baltimore Club and people were not all that into it, which was interesting. Really? Yeah, because it's just funny when you see... Um, 
it's funny when you you see these crowds and you feel like they can pretty much do anything and then you come to realize that they're actually kind of picky um which is which is fun i think in a way um but it's uh yeah it can be a little challenging and it was funny because like i had a, a half club music and then half just like um what a lot of people were just calling weeb music <laughs> just like ja- japanese future bass uh and and uh let me see here like this song i don't know if i played this one for you last time so like i play a bunch of like like finish playing that and go back to club music they sort of like they were enthusiastic but they're not like really dancing club music for some reason the fact that the kick drum is slightly uh <laughs> changed up compared to four on the floor like really throws some people for a loop and they can't really get into a groove that they want to get into so yeah yeah man that's uh that's my life it's, <laughs> it's like i just for me that's such a baseline of um you know i if, if i'm starting from the point of I like a syncopated kick, and from there, I want it to be as super danceable and functional as possible, but I, I really forget sometimes that some people just cannot feel it, and there's something about that 4-4 that four, four kick that just, like, something clicks in people's brains, and they're like, oh, it's a party. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's a, oh, 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 now I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting. And um, what was the name of that space? If it's not a, a secret, oh, it's called Black Lodge. It's called Black Lodge. It, yeah, it's the Black Lodge, man. It's tight. It's uh, it's in between uh, the this like venue that's kind of an old school Seattle venue called Lo-Fi, where I actually played my first show uh, in like oh, wow. 2010. And then on the right is like a like a rock uh, punk rock bar called Victory Lounge. Uh, and then right in the middle is this place called Black Lodge. It's like unlabeled, and it's um, it's just in the back of this like kind of old building, and it's uh, oh, I don't know, like a 150 person venue maybe, uh, and it's super diy the guy who was running the show lived upstairs his room was uh you know one of those things where everything is low to the floor like there's no shelves or anything it's just like the beds on the floor tables are really low uh, a lot of the furniture is like cars you know seats that have been pulled out of cars and shit like that so um, he was he was very disoriented and spoke very in a very you know he just yeah. he was burnout <laughs> <laughs> you know he's just a, a burnout homie but he was very nice very very considerate if not uh that technically well versed living the low lifestyle damn i can't believe you played at a place called black lodge that's the best name for a club ever it's time man i've seen some good shows there i saw dem dyke stare there <laughs> wow that's very black lodge it is, dude. It really is. What's even more Black Lodge is the fact that the sound system cut out three times during their set. Oh, wow. Just from, like, sheer levels? <laughs> yeah, just from, like, uh, you know, uh, um, infrastructure instability. <laughs> just, like, not not because Demdike Stare was going crazy, although they were, uh, but it was uh, just, um, it's not a well-designed space and not a high-budget space either, so. Is there a White Lodge? There is not. No, there isn't. Start one. Yeah, it's all darkness. There's no... (laughs) Yeah, and I I suppose for any listeners who don't know, Black Lodge is uh, Super Twin Peaks. But yeah, which, you know... uh... 
I think is actually probably lost on a lot of people that go there. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Literally, the 18-year-old ravers were also unaware of it. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do the youth? Uh, did the youth watch the return? Or uh, probably not. Man, you just you you absolutely never know. You never know what people who had Facebook at age four, or whatever the fuck, or kids kids who have like literally had streaming services their whole lives, and so they've been able to just type in anything that they want. You know, it's homies like that could be into anything, including Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's true. I'm always shocked by the things that um that younger people I talk to do know and do not know especially do know Last time we talked, one of the things I was, you know, always happy to learn about is that you're a drummer. You started on the drums, same as me. So that was, remind me, was that high school, before high school? Got the drum set, uh, did a little bit of lessons, but didn't didn't stick with it very long. And um, did a, uh, you know, a little cover band with my friends. Uh, God, I remember how fucking nervous I was the first time I did that. I was like shaking. I was so nervous because like my friend played guitar and his friend played guitar and they'd known each other for a long time. And I was just like the fuck who was just like, oh, hey, I know a guy who plays drums. Like, you know, we would go jam with him. And I had no idea what uh, what to do, um, but it ended up being pretty fun. Yeah, man, I remember that was the hardest thing to get over just playing drums early on was the sheer physical, like I, probably more than any other instrument or maybe it's the same, but just like when you're nervous, it's so hard to get it out. You're just like gripping the stick so hard <laughs> or your hands are shaking. It's oh, yeah, dude, thing. and you're seizing up. You're like, yeah, you're so fucking tight. You just seize up. Yeah, it's it's a it's a funny feeling. It's like my body's betraying me. <laughs> It's the worst. It's the worst feel. Yeah, man. So then you switched to um, DJing and electronic music pretty early on, um, earlier than I did, that's for sure, um, in high school, correct? Exactly, yeah. And um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to start. Uh, I was just going to start recounting the glory days. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, like, if it was a matter of seeing um, things online that made you get interested in it and think you could do it. Or were there people around you in high school that, uh, like, was there a little crew that kind of inspired you to do that? It's a combination of both, but what I would say for sure is, like, the moment I decided that I was going to ask my parents for money <laughs> for DJ shit was when I saw um, Scratch, the documentary Scratch, and that was... 2000 i think and then that uh i had been listening uh to i think i told you beastie boys and stuff like that and i got into invisible scratch pickles and then i actually saw like them um on 
on screen watching this documentary and it just, it, I, it all clicked and I was just like, yep, this is what's, this is what's happening for me. Um, and then the first year to year and a half, honestly, I think, um, I was just scratching in my room. Uh, and then I, um, started wanting to DJ and my high school had like a digital media center. It was a pretty small thing, but it had like recording equipment and like computers that you could use to work on music with. Wow. There were there were a couple really weird. We were all kind of like a little weird sort of community that would like hang out there and be in there all the time. Um, and uh, you know, some some kids were ravers and like drum and bass DJs, and like some kids were into hip hop. And um, it's still kind of like that there at the school a little bit. But um, when I was there, there was a lot of. Um, sort of people we wouldn't have necessarily been friends except we all had this music thing in common and uh you know we dj at high school dances the dances at the school but i'd always kind of been fucking around with like getting music and then presenting it to people like um in middle school we me and this other guy used to sort of compete in terms of like we would bring burn cds with songs on them and play them during lunch uh and try and like get attention like get girls attention get like songs that like girls would sing along to and shit Oh yeah. Play hip hop that was cool, except it had to be censored. So I would get the MP3s off of like Kazaa or something, and then I'd load them into. Um, uh, it used to be called Cool Edit Pro. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like uh, Adobe bought them and turned it into Audition. Uh, but it, back in the day, it was you could get Cool Edit Pro for free, and I would just censor the songs in Cool Edit Pro so I could burn them and take them into middle school and play them, and the teachers wouldn't get mad. That's amazing. And yeah, that was before I really understood what DJing was. In a sense, that's basically all it is. Uh, that mindset and uh, that kind of carried through to um, to like the scratching was just like a big the impetus for all of it but the the actual wanting to be a DJ thing has been around for a while I think so so you would actually go word by word and make clean edits of those songs yeah man you just load up the song you press play and as soon as you get to something you highlight it and reverse it and just keep going until you got through the whole song <laughs> Oh man, I love it. Yeah, Cool Edit Pro. I, I actually recently uh, was looking up to see if you could still down that, download that. Just um, you know, after watching some of those old uh, Fortet videos where he's got the laptop just for Cool Edit Pro, just to do like weird loops on the fly. Yeah, dude. You know what I was watching? I think we talked about this. Uh, I was watching that Rusco uh, Masterclass, 2008 Masterclass. You remember? Oh yeah. Yeah, his his he's got that huge CRT monitor. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh hell yeah. So then, uh, when did you first start making your own music? Not till college. Right, not till actually I graduated from college. So uh, I did make one. Damn, what the fuck would it be called? I made a couple tracks with um, some of my friends in that studio, uh, but in high school. But there's only like three or four of them. They're really goofball. And then yeah, until I got serious. Uh, it wasn't until I, 2009 when I actually got serious. Uh, and I think I played that first song last time. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, oh, yeah, that, there it is. But, yeah. So, yeah, this was the first one. Pentatonic scale. Just sitting in sitting in the office after hours because I had access to a studio through my job. Um, I, the the speakers that were hooked up to the iMac that I made this on were those like 
the like translucent speakers with the weird looking sub that Apple sold. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this back in the day, but yeah, that's that, those were my monitors for this track. And yeah, I think I said this last time, but it seems like it turned out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I did all of that shit in one take. It's not even quantized. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. That sounds wild. Yeah. Sometimes those early tracks are just, you know, when you're not uh holding yourself back, like some of the like maybe not uh necessarily the most produced or functional tracks, but the most like weird and creative shit that you ever do. Uh yeah, and the type of shit that sounds fucking amazing, even though it violates every single rule of mixing. <laughs> and you open up the t- you open up the project file and it's just a full fucking all in the red plus six DB, but it just sounds it sounds like a rusty track, you know? It's absolutely how it happens. Absolutely. It does happen. Oh yeah. I'm still thinking about you guys DJing the high school dances. I can't believe they let you do that. That's uh, that that did not happen in my school, but that's uh, that's really tight. So, what? <laughs> how did that go down? Were you guys, um, you know, playing it, playing it straight, uh, playing uh, the populist tunes, or was it like drum and bass madness at the high school dance? Uh, so there would be, again, like it was like, well, what is what are the girls going to like? That was a big part of it. Um, what, uh, what do I like? So it's like, you know, at that point, I'm like, and I still to this day love, love 50 Cent. So it's like, you know, shit like that. Um, I would throw in some like capital H, capital H, like real hip hop. Um, I think I played a KRS-One song at a high school dance. Mm-hmm. Because I was also in high school, so I was thinking shit like that would be tight to do. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, just to answer your question, it was a combination of things. And it was definitely the kind of thing where I'd play stuff, someone would be happy. I'd play something that I was kind of into, and people would come up and be like, can you play something else? <laughs> and I was also taking like top 40 songs and then going and finding like the, the remix of it, where there's like an extra bunch of verses from other famous rappers on it, and playing that instead. And that would bug people too. But I thought that like, <laughs> because I thought for some reason that that made it more valuable, right? Like I played something, right. I would play a version that would be familiar, but it would be something different and that they hadn't heard before. And then that would be like considered good. Uh, when in fact, it's like, you know, a huge bummer. Cause you just want to hear, you just want to hear the song that you like, uh, but it's like all fucked up for some reason. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that probably holds true to today, you know, like just kind of, DJ cred, you're like, well, you know, you can't just play the original version. No one does that. You got to play some crazy remix. But yeah, I'm sure there's a level, um, depending on where you're playing at, where no one actually wants to hear that. Half the crowd's like, this is yeah. and, you know, and, you know, obvi- yeah, obviously we want to play the, the open rooms where people actually want to hear that shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's inter- It's always interesting to hit. Like I, I, I was switching over with the DJ on uh, at the rave, and um, you know, switchovers are. I, I'm actually interested to hear a good switchover story from you. But switchovers are either like really smooth because everyone's on the same page, or there's some just weird disconnect between you and the other person. Uh, I try to be as absolutely professional as possible, and I've had some really like wild. Uh, do you know who Andre Power is? No. He he uh, he's the guy who runs Selection. Um, and he and a bunch of selection people were in town for this big electronic music festival, uh, the year decibel festival, which used to be in Seattle, but is, is done. It died a couple years ago, but I was oh, yeah. playing on a show with him and he was DJing before me and he was using Serato and I was using Serato. 
and I was talking to him like real briefly, like, how do you want to switch over? Or he asked me that question. I was like, can you just unplug your USB and then I'll just immediately plug mine in and you can talk on the mic in between. And mm-hmm. it was the, one of the most seamless transitions I've ever, <laughs> I've ever done, even though it's kind of bootleg, right? Yeah. This guy that I was switching over with, uh, um, was playing songs and he said, so, like he, he was in the middle of a song and I was like, Hey man, like I can jump on whatever you want. Like, you know, you know, do you want to do another song or something like that? And he was like, Oh, whenever. And I was like, okay, I can do it. I can switch over now if you want. And he was like, uh, hold on. You know, we're about like halfway through this buildup. Like the crowd's going to be really bummed if they don't like get the big payoff for it. And I was just like, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah, like I don't. I know crowds are like that, huh? You know, it's it's just what you think. You think too much about yourself and not about like uh, the, the how low low stakes it all really is. You know, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think if uh, I don't know that I've ever had a particularly good changeover. <laughs> um, it's usually like the hard cut, and I'm just worried about. Uh, getting the USB going and, and making sure it's not too much of a train wreck or, um, you know, I like to do the kind of the ambient cloud like track just to, uh, not have to worry about, um, you know, beat matching out of someone else's track or whatever. So, uh, so it sounds like, uh, you maybe didn't do a lot of music in college. Um, what did you, uh, what did you go to school for? Um, so I originally wanted to go to school for sociology and then I uh, switched over to creative writing cause I didn't, cause I was just like smoking too much weed and I didn't want to do statistics. I was just like, fuck this. This is, I don't want to do this. And it turned out like, I mean, I'm a pretty good creative writer. I think I have, um, uh, I enjoy it. And like the things that I make are, um, are interesting enough that I, I want to read them later on and so on and so forth. Uh, and I really relate to other writers. And so, uh, it turned out that the school, so I went to Johns Hopkins, which was like a pretty pretty nice school and they're known for biomedical engineering and like science and stuff like that and i didn't realize this but they have one of the best creative writing programs in the country too uh oh really so i ended up yeah um studying with professors who were like really good writers some of them some of them weren't but it was it was really rewarding and i was djing a lot during that time i was in a frat i was djing frat parties and and again more dances um and uh a lot of club music a lot of dubstep um a lot of future beats uh, a lot of um new disco and like electro house uh um and just drinking a lot yeah and just you know raging doing ragers still a lot of hip-hop too i was like really yeah. fucking with hip-hop up until my sophomore year and then i kind of stepped back a little bit because i did a study abroad in london where i tried to learn where i got exposed to a bunch of other stuff because like at that point and i think still but hip-hop in europe is just different and when you're in like a city like London, for instance, there's way more electronic music than there is um, in America. And it's like a different kind of mentality. Uh, and so like I had, I got into dubstep and there was still, it was still the time where this was 2008. It was still the time where like, there was a lot of interesting stuff happening, but like a lot of the big name artists were also just people that you could go see. Um, mm-hmm. So um, do you know Benga? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I went to go see him. It wasn't like uh, like nothing was happening, right? Like it wasn't a huge show. It wasn't headlining. It was just like one of those shows that's in a venue and there's three different uh, rooms. And just in one of the rooms, like he was DJing. So I went and saw that. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't even think that much of it. Now, he sucks now, but like I just really liked his <laughs> album at that time, his first album. And um, 
so that's kind of how uh, I fit everything together in terms of music and like everything kind of melded through the lens of DJing and like, do I, is this an inventive song and can I fit this in and categorize this with other stuff that's like it and kind of put it all together uh, and yeah, you know, just hopping around genres, looking for stuff that was new just looking for right. stuff that was like um, blogging, just hitting those hitting blogs all day, because you know, hitting hype machine when that's what it was, you know Yep, damn that seems like an amazing time to be in London um, yeah, that seems like a real good year I think I maybe uh, in some ways I feel like I probably over-idealize the electronic scene in the UK since so much music I love comes out of there. And just seeing things online from afar, it seems like, oh, like seems like there's so much going on and uh, it seems like people are so tuned in and open to it. And I'm sure when you're actually there, it's, you know, it's really niche. Um, But I don't know. It's still still compared to here. here I'm sure it's um, way better, and and you know, just a lot of the music lives there. Um, so I, I I personally have not made it over there, but I've always wanted to do it. Yeah, it's highly recommended. <laughs> Definitely highly recommended. Although it's different now, um, kind of like how every city has gotten like worse uh, in the past couple of years. London is the same, I think. Um, sure. It should be interesting if Brexit really kind of blows out the British economy um, and all the housing prices drop in London. It could uh, could actually be good culturally. <laughs> uh yeah there you go it is london's interesting because there is a lot of cool shit to see there and there's a lot of like tradition there too but also there's a lot of burnout (coughs) um you know there's just shit tons of burnout so like you'll see you'll see people kind of come and go and um it's uh yeah it's it's mainly what what you're getting is you're getting an audience that's like pretty interested in things that like yeah you and me find on the internet and really like but don't really know anyone or don't really have like a a nearby venue or you know subculture that's really uh engaging with it that you can go out and interface with you know yeah man creative writing thing actually brings me to something I wanted to ask you about Um, because the last time we talked um, we were talking about the seven stuff and getting into Baltimore club music and really like uh, you know processing it getting deep into it for a lot of years and you said um, that you know one of the ways you kind of deal with and and process uh, stuff you get really into is by trying to do it and trying to make your own take in on it which you know of course, and this is something I, I also want to talk about later. Um, of course, if it's uh, if there are cultural associations that you're outside of, you got to be very careful and respectful with that. Um, but uh, aside from that, I did want to ask you, since um, I know you're into, you know, you do a lot of books and uh, films, um, that I, I was wondering if you had ever put serious time into those things, into either visual art or film or writing. 
and it sounds like you did for writing. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I um, two years ago, <clears throat> I actually spent uh, the fall, the fall and winter of 2017. I wrote out like the first, God, I don't know, like um, the first third of a novel. Oh wow! Because before I decided to go into like the um, information system, like cybersecurity uh, program that I'm in now, uh, I wanted to do a creative writing MFA mm-hmm. and then kind of parlay that into a high school English teaching job. Sure. And uh, the really insane thing is that uh, getting into MFA programs is really hard. Um, and that's always been true. So that's not you know, a huge, I can't really play any sad violins and shed tears about it, but it is, it is difficult. And then um, if you're going to get into one that's fully funded, which I think is the only real, you know, those are the only ones you really want to go for. I don't think it's good yeah. to have loans to do an MFA. Uh, and then um, getting a good high school teaching gig is also really hard. Uh, and they're both like very financially punishing. Uh, uh, it, and by comparison, the the program that I'm in, um, like I had a smoother experience than a lot of people have, but I still basically like walked in um, without a lot of experience, picked up a couple skills and a couple talking points, and just got a job. Um, and it pays a lot, uh, so it's it's um, not as fun, but by any means. But yeah, no. Uh, to answer your question, it's just a strange kind of um, it's a strange kind of irony, which uh, is not um, all that unique of an insight which is basically like art's really fun and fucking difficult. No one cares about it. And doing shit that's super dry is, um, is easy and, and financially rewarding. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I, um, I put it's along the exact same lines of what you just described, uh, in terms of like, I look at something and then I kind of want to end up doing it like the novel that I started. And I think it's it, when I do end up finishing it, it's going to be about a hundred thousand words, I think. And currently I have about 30,000 words. So there's still a lot to do, but it's, told through the first person perspective of four different characters and they just kind of rotate and they all live in the same neighborhood so that's kind of the the idea and um the four different characters are just sort of composites of four of my favorite authors so uh the first one is kind of like uh raymond chandler who wrote um like the big sleep and a bunch of other really good uh like pulp fucking detective novels definitely the second is kind of like um ann Beatty or um uh, Tao Lin or like kind of um, it's the first character is this kind of depressed security guard who's that's me uh, <laughs> and then like the second character is this home girl who's just like um, she's just a pure homie you know she just loves uh, fucking partying and working at this restaurant but she's also kind of um, you know she's also kind of alienated uh, and and deals with a lot of a lot of shit underneath um, and yeah that's kind of just a um, a composite of like kind of these minimal List, dry kind of sardonic depressed writers that i like and then um the third person he's like a he's like a rich kind of um he's a rich kid and he works at a tech company um not unlike amazon and um he's kind of a brett easton ellis kind of patrick bateman type character like american psycho except the joke is that instead of wanting to kill other people he's just like always thinking about killing himself <laughs> but he never does so it's a <laughs> he's a really fun character to write he's really insane and then the last um the last character is a um uh like a professor of english at a nearby university and she talks just like virginia wolf would talk um 
And so it's fun because you get to like uh, move through these different characters and kind of imitate and live inside these voices of these books, you know, um, and it always ends up coming out sounding different. I mean, a little bit, right? Like of course. it's uh, it always ends up being its own thing. Um, but um, that's just something I've never, I enjoy consuming and translating and interpolating things. Um, and I don't worry about like whether influence um, affects like the quality or originality of my work. And I don't worry about imitation seeming inauthentic or anything like that. Cause it's just, cause it isn't, it, it isn't. And then also for whatever reason, the way that I process things, it always comes out the other end kind of sounding like me is what I've been told before and i also feel that that is the case um so uh yeah that's uh yeah dude life man <laughs> <laughs> that's great man yeah well i totally agree with um yeah with uh just processing things and and uh just having faith that it's, it's going to sound like yourself and you know i think you always know like when you're when you haven't gotten to that point and you're still in the imitation phase i mean that's the stuff that never really leaves the drawing board um but uh yeah, that's great. That's that, that sounds really smart. And it's better to imitate, uh, you know, four other writers than one. Um, but that's really cool. I mean, I yeah, I was an English major. And I've always been it's always been my big thing before music um, was certainly books. But, you know, I never like I never really seriously tried writing. And after I got deep into music, I kind of always and still do love keeping it as something that I can enjoy in the arts that I don't have any ego in, you know, I don't have any skin in the game. So I love like, I love just appreciating fiction and, and not worrying about uh, if I can do it well. And, uh, you know, I do have lots of, uh, oddly enough, a lot of friends who are writers around here, we kind of fell in. Well, basically, my girlfriend uh, was uh, roommates with some MFA types years and maybe like 10 years ago. And one of them started a potluck that they had done at Iowa City where the idea was just uh you know make a big pot of soup and any of the poets and writers whatever come by and uh so we ended up being friends with a lot of these uh MFA types and the potluck has has morphed and morphed but basically we still have it every week to this day and it's been going on for 10 years and some of those writers stuck around and are like my best friends that's really tight. <laughs> that's really tight to be able to bring people together for something like that on a consistent basis. That's like, God, that's absolutely crucial, especially if you're like, you know, if you're not in an MFA program, but especially if you're in some kind of schooling around that type of thing and you don't have something like that, you're just so fucked, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's fucking awesome. What's, uh, do you have any good stories from that, from that long running potluck series? Is there any notable events or, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, oh man, I, I always feel like the Tuesday dinner thing could be a whole podcast. You know, we like to keep it private. Um, I will say just real briefly there, there was, uh, one, uh, girl who came who, um, <laughs> she, she's now like a fairly successful, uh, fiction writer, Maybe I'll edit this out later. <laughs> um, but, she uh, is she listening? Is she listening? Um, I can guarantee she won't listen to this. But uh, but at the time she was doing her MFA and uh, and a friend of mine who's a musician uh, loves to tell this story. She came and, you know, we had a bunch of food, bunch of food. And, you know, this was a long time ago. Everyone was uh, single. There was a little bit of a different vibe 10 years ago to now, of course. And uh, he was like, oh, she's kind of cute. And then um, later in the night, well, <laughs> later in the night, he remembers thinking like, oh, 
I don't know. She she doesn't look as cute as I as I thought. She looks kind of I don't know, a little red and puffy. And at the end of this meal, at the end of this meal, um, she, there were like some brownies or something. And she was like, "Hey, uh, are there peanuts in this?" And we kind of looked around at the rest of the food and we're like, "Well, no, but there are in everything else you ate." <laughs> um, it was like you know some really obvious like Thai Thai peanut noodles, whatever. Um, so yeah, she, she ended up going to the ER later that night. She was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an ER visit and she never came back to the potluck. <laughs> oh, no. oh no. And that's such a hilarious, oh God, that's such a hilarious detail. Like, I don't know, man, she seemed pretty attractive, but now she seems kind of like she might be allergic to peanuts and <laughs> having to go to the ER. And I just don't know, like if I'm interested in her anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's homied out. That's homie shit for sure. Yep. <laughs> Thinking that about a woman is pure homie shit. And then also being the kind of person who eats a ton of peanuts and then just doesn't even think about it. And then it decides that it's the brownies that she needs to check. Out. <laughs> oh, that's pure homie brain. Also, like <laughs> when you have like the kind of allergy that's going to send you to the hospital and you just are just and you just dumb out on some fucking Thai, Thai peanut noodles. I mean, God, I love it. That's 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 a great story. <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go um yeah so um <clears throat> just to get back on the uh the bio train um so you started doing the music under dj ao um after college right mm-hmm. right i learned last time that the first thing you put out was not on dropping gems which is most of the stuff that i'm familiar with but you did um uh, what's the name of it? Car crash set. Yeah. Um, where is that song? Is that um is that label out of Seattle as well? It was at the time. Yeah. Now Will, who runs it, lives in um uh DC. Um, but what was this? Yeah, it was like a split. Um, with another with the guy who was up in Vancouver. But yeah, I was just like, wow, James Blake, wow. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to do that. So, this is one thing. And I'm already doing my little, like, voice. And uh, uh, I really loved last time uh, when you told me about your method for writing chord progressions. I was so into that. I'm going to make you say it again. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, you were talking about essentially like just using your ear and randomly putting fingers down on the keyboard until you found uh, a chord that sounded nice and then another one and uh, and didn't you uh and using logic to analyze the chords so you did actually end up knowing what they were right i did yeah yeah it took um 
it took uh it took me a while to fucking figure out like what i uh what i was doing um to like to have like the the wherewithal to understand like even what you know um how chords are formed and how progressions like resolve themselves and all sorts of stuff uh and i (laughs) had no i just had no fucking idea i didn't really care either and i knew in the back of my head that it was one of those things i did not want to um you know eventually i was like oh actually i would love to be able to fucking do to to understand how to play keyboard correctly but actually i don't know if you can see this but i I, someone came to my house and actually watched me make a song oh wow and and it and it has me let's see here it has me doing this exact thing i can't play piano so it's like this is sort of like what i do i'm like ah yeah that sounds dope like basically look for a chord progression that i like um this is the interview within the interview it's very hamlet very meta yeah i just put together this so that i can side chain it and then later on i do the drums and that electric piano patch the logic nine electric piano evp88 um and then that's that's really it but like yeah that's (laughs) i didn't keep that track (laughs) (laughs) i made it for the video and then i fucking for sure threw it away yeah no that's great though i love it because it's i mean you know it's just kind of a organic way of doing almost um algorithmic stuff or throwing some randomness in and using your ear which is always going to be the best results and i don't know that's always the most important thing in my opinion. Um, and it's really the same process as, as like, uh, just running samples and, and, uh, and that's what distinguishes, uh, you know, one producer for, from another is just their ear and just, just the stuff you pick out that sounds good to you. I mean, I guess that's the same thing with any musician, even if you're coming at it from like a strong theory point of view, but, um, I don't know. To me, to me, there's definitely something different about that and, and like purely uh, something beautiful about electronic music production and that. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's really, really nice. And it's the and it's a it's a funny kind of irony that uh, the people that are like heaviest into theory and God, the people that are heaviest into like gear and getting expensive gear and having huge fucking built out setups like uh, sometimes the shit's pretty dry, you know? Like the 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 method and construction and um and, and hardware behind it all is extremely dialed in, and then that's it turns out that that's actually all that matters. And the what what ends up uh, the food that ends up on the plate that you actually have to eat uh, tastes like shit, you know. So it's um, it's it's funny, but uh, I would definitely be a better. Um, I would be a much better producer if I had more chops, but I also would be a different, yeah, different producer. So yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, and then the, um, the real, at least in my mind, the, um, kind of climax or summation, at least thus far of the, uh, DJ AO stuff, um, was the album on Dropping Gems, which was, uh, 2014, right? Yeah. Which, um, you know, I said last time and I'm happy to say again, like to me, that's definitely a classic of the stuff I was listening to at that time. And like one of the few things that I for sure still listen to, um, and definitely, yeah, definitely put on. Um, so I definitely recommend people go check that out. Um, 
and I'll certainly put some tracks from that record on this uh, on this pod. You should put uh, "Depressing Jog Ends Well" because that's a classic example of like <laughs> me just opening a piano patch and just being like, "Okay, fuck, how am I gonna do this?" And then just like this whole fucking bizarre song spreads out of it, just kind of almost by itself. Uh, Yeah, that that album took me a really long time to make, uh, and I really obsessed over it. And looking back on it, not everything in it is quite as interesting as I thought it was at the time. But some of it is like really turned out really, really well. I think, and I'm I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that you enjoy it. That second track from it, Woodgrain, that's my most popular track on like Spotify because it's just a that's a classic 24/7 lo-fi hip-hop beats to chill and study to type of track. You know, so right. I wouldn't be surprised if that track showed up on that stream at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Do, where do you listen to that album? I'm just curious. Like, when do you put that <laughs> on? That that's a car album, or yeah, or a headphones work album. Nice, cool. That's I'm very flattered. Um, and yeah, to me, track one. Track one is a, a classic for sure. That melody, that vocal melody. Man, I uh, was in the basement of my house living with like a bunch of other dudes. Uh, and I, that, tr- that vocal melody just hit me. It just fucking hit me. And I just hit record, um, kind of just mumbled it into the microphone, saved it, and it just left the house. Mm. Then like it was, yeah, days later I came back to it and I was like, huh, I wonder if I can bang out one of those goofball chord progressions that I'm doing uh, that will, you know, uh, work with this thing and then just turned it into a track. But yeah, that was like, that literally came out of nowhere. That just came out of yeah. nowhere and I wrote it down. I love it. Um, yeah, it's funny with, uh, speaking of chill lo-fi beats to study too. Yeah. Some of my tracks from that time are definitely like on, on streaming, um, for sure the biggest ones. And I, yeah, I have to think it's just because they get, uh, wound up in those algorithms somehow and end up on some playlists sometimes. Um, yeah, it's a really funny thing. That song, uh, Woodgrain, got put on an Apple Music uh, study playlist. Mm. <laughs> there you go. It still gets spins. I got um, I got five bucks this month. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I got a <laughs> PayPal for five bucks. It was tight. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so um, you were working on the, uh, the seven stuff at around the same time, right? Um, was it, I don't know if it was totally concurrent, but, um, the first seven stuff came out around the same time as that album. Is that, do I have that right? That's a good question. I actually don't remember. I feel like it was a little bit later than that, but I can, I can actually find out. 
Um, oh, I put in an extra. I put in eight sevens. Jesus fuck. Uh, 2015. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit later. Yeah, and and it was a direct result. I think I might have mentioned this, but a direct result of like uh, having a weekly and a huge club. Um, and uh, yeah, just DJing every week in a big club and like going, you know, w- looking at dance music at that point, which was, um, yeah, 2014, 2015. Um, a lot of kind of sparkly club and yeah selection was getting big and you know giraffage and you know stuff like that was uh was kind of what was happening for us uh and so just repeated exposure again like everything else kind of just had an influence on me and caused me to kind of get into i got really deep into baltimore club at that point i was playing a lot of it and um just decided to uh it was time Uh, so i'm really curious about your experiences um and relationships with the baltimore dudes at the time who are you know, originating that music, because, um, I mean, I do get the impression that uh, you, like, made some trips there and uh, reached out to them, and, uh, yeah, i just love to hear about what that was like and how you went about it. Um, it was a couple different things, and the first thing was um, I was getting all the music off SoundCloud, uh, and that, because there were, that was a time period SoundCloud was, you know, had already kind of gone to shit, but it was still, there was it still had a feeling to it that it definitely doesn't have now, but like most of those producers were posting, making tracks and posting them pretty regularly and enabling downloads. So I was digging through an entire person's um, account and downloading pretty much everything I could get a hold of. And then, you know, looking at their followers and following uh, accounts and opening every single one and doing the same thing. Um, so I had built a library that way and I was playing a lot of music. And I actually remember specifically uh, the, the, when I realized, the moment I realized that like the Baltimore club that I knew about when I was originally living in Baltimore and going and seeing and going to the clubs and kind of seeing it, um, which is uh, way more house oriented, a kind of a house housey type scene where um, people go and dance all night at a club. Um, instead of like uh, battling, um, I... Um, I am dying. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, I remember somehow coming across this Baltimore club dance video that um, blew my mind. Like it was a, the dancing's crazy, but it was the music. I just never heard club music like this before. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm gonna see if it comes through here. <laughs> So I had this guy, DJ Dizzy, who's my favorite shakeoff producer. And that's kind of what you call the, the kind of Baltimore club that I'm into now that is involves like, you know, it's a battle battling type of uh, dance battle type of music. Um, so I had, uh, I, had DJ, I had Dizzy do this remix for me for my first car crash release. Um, Just classic shake off. Uh, the end of it is just so insane.
Um, and then, so I kind of was in contact with him off and on and it was a little strange, like people, it takes a while for people to warm up to you, um, on the internet, right? Especially if it's like some kind of white music nerd from across the country, you know, I can go to Baltimore and I can DM, DM any of these guys and get responses back and hang out or not hang out, but just, uh, you know, talk to the guys who run, you know, I'm in town and I can text the guy like, Hey, are there any dance battles that you're organizing while I'm in town? I can go to, and I'll be like, yeah, there's one over here at this place. Um, so it's pretty cool now. Yeah. And like my big goal now is to actually DJ one of the dance battles. And like, it's one of those things where I talked to the guy and he was like, yeah, we'll definitely put you on next time you're in town. And it's just, you know, now I just have to have a reason to go out there. Um, other than that. Um, but that's next on the, the bucket list. Cause it just looks like too much fun. Like I, I already spin music in the way that, uh, the DJs who do the dance battles do it, you know? Um, so all I really need to do is walk in the door. I don't have any like particular, um, worries or confusion about like is that something i can do is that something i'd be nervous to do which is actually what i'm interested in uh, if you do you kind of feel that way about second line now yeah i mean that's that's a real particular thing um you know we go down there and uh and it's definitely yeah go down see the bands and at this point like uh i've definitely have some relationships with the musicians and they know who we are and know know we can do it like the last time i was down there um we played this brass band festival in congo square which was cool because it was the first time there was an all brass band festival um in new orleans and in congo square and uh so you know that that was definitely a special thing and then later that night, I ended up playing some gigs with some of the local bands who just like needed a bass drummer. And I was like, hey, I'm happy to do it and have that experience. And it's this thing where in New Orleans, um, a lot of the bands will go around at night and play these private parties and weddings, but they won't play like a whole set. Um, partially, you know, there's a lot of people in a brass band and it would cost a lot of money to hire one of those bands for the whole night. And you don't really need them for the whole night because there's a DJ playing, whatever. So you have your wedding, you'll have your birthday party, and then the bands will get like whatever, 200 bucks to come play for 20 minutes. Just come in and hit it hard and then roll out. And then they do like five of these parties in a night um, and they're just going all around. So I went and did a couple of those. Um, and, you know, it's always really nice to do because I like whatever I obsess over that stuff and it's nice to to do it and be like okay yeah I can do it <laughs> like all the um obsessive uh listening and and going down and seeing the bands and YouTube watching paid off and just to have someone say like yeah man you didn't miss a note like to me that's that's it um but the the second line thing in particular the actual second lines uh that happened on Sunday that is a little bit of a different thing you know it's it's just like a real deep cultural thing and you know like if if uh some of us have lived down there and played in those bands and if you're in the band fine but um yeah um to i don't know that we would even though it is definitely the the bucket list and we have played like uh a funeral for um someone who was uh, special to the band or we have done things like that the full on like actual Sunday second line. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, uh, I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who have sat in and all I like, come and play cowbell and tambourine. Um, and I definitely, uh, when I was younger and probably had no business doing it, I'm, I'm sure I was like, Hey man, can I sit in? 
but now now I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's that's funny. That that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's that's really the bottom line, right? It's just like you can you can get so into these things because there's the, the for whatever reason, and there's obviously so many subcultures and and and, and genres of music that are region specific, community city specific that are like you know um, some of them are interesting, some of them are just kind of themselves, and some of them go from being pretty isolated to actually being up on a, a national stage some of them are like have just shit tons of regional history and they're well known um and that's that's like what you're describing and i also think that's what i'm describing and it's just like those things are the product of a place and you know you can with a lot of baltimore club dancers like it's a very youth driven um uh culture so it's it's dance music and electronic driven uh it's 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 um you know dance battle driven it's very very idiosyncratic and a lot of the people that started start in it started like seven or eight so like there's a lot of like pretty young 10 year old 11 12 year old dancers that dance at these events right and then there's like guys that are in their 20s that do it too and then there's guys in their 30s and 40s who used to do it who like you know they just get tired too quickly <laughs> they'll come out and they have like moves and stuff but uh you know if the, you if you're not from there it's just like fuck there's part of it that you'll never touch because there's just there's no reason why you'd be able to um so yeah it's uh uh do you think that's something you'll ever end up doing the sunday second line like or do you think you would have to move down there in order to be able to kind of feel uh to be um involved enough to end up there yeah i don't know it's a good question um i'd probably have to move down there um and you know who knows um yeah i'm i'm super happy with just uh the respect that my band has gotten down there and and really that's for me that's that's all that matters is just to have the the people who we love who uh who we kind of look up to just being like yep you're doing it <laughs> um because they're i don't know very few bands outside of new orleans in my opinion who are really doing it but uh you know maybe someday i'll live in hope um but yeah it really is to anyone who's in new orleans um if you can you know go on a sunday don't leave on sunday morning find out where the second line it is for me it, it really is just the best thing in the world and yeah i'm sure similar to the, the baltimore club scene there there's so many elements to it there's the dancers um there's the band and I mean, it's just, it, the whole thing is just so deep. So I'm really just happy to be able to observe and, you know, be a part of it in any way that I can. Um, but really just take it in. Did uh, did anyone when you were, um, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe it hasn't gotten to the point of, um, you know, actually playing one of those battles. So you were just um, sending tunes. But I'm curious if you ever had any experiences where someone was like, you're doing it wrong. Not that, um, you know, not that you would have been like, you definitely get it. But uh, it's just one of the things that I kind of appreciate about second line music um, compared to, you know, in electronic music. Part of the beautiful thing about it is that, oh, it, you know, there there's space for everyone to have their own voice. And it's all about pushing and new sounds and, and just expressing creativity. But uh, in contrast to that, one of the things I actually really like about second line music is you can do it wrong. <laughs> like there, there are, there are, <laughs> there are, uh, incorrect things to do. Um, and you can just have it really not be happening. Um, I mean, obviously you can suck playing any kind of music. Um, and there's also room for creativity, but 
you gotta you gotta know the basics and you gotta be able to sound a certain way if you're playing that music yeah i mean the i wouldn't describe it necessarily as like someone walked up and said just like hey man you just don't fucking get it but like there's a noticeable difference between like doing something and putting it out there and just getting zero response and then putting something out there and having people being like oh okay you know it's really the absence of criticism or absence of praise that can sometimes um uh be the deciding factor and i know when i first went out there to specifically go to a dance battle um it was awkward because i was one of the only white guys there and no one told me to leave or that i wasn't welcome but you know you can hear people hear people say things right you know from like five feet away or whatever to each other uh, about me being there and like it's um fine it's just one of those things where it's just like well you know i'm not really here to, to for everybody to fucking love me and be happy i'm there it's like i'm there to fuck with the, the dance music so i would say there's a big difference between um i would say this one part like there's only a handful of songs where i've actually been able to i feel to nail um uh actually really nail the sound the way i want to this is like this part of this song i know like i definitely nailed it just in terms of like how the drums That song that I played. Like this, I nailed it on this And like that particular song, I remember I asked Dizzy, I was like, yeah, man, I don't think I really got it with this, but I don't know if it's just that or if it's all in my head. And he just looked at me and was like, yeah, it's all in your head, man. It's, it's fine. Um, That's good. that feedback but i think um so i just played you two kind of <laughs> 30 second clips maybe uh yep. and like all the rest of it is is fun for me and fun for some other people but it's not like club club music it's it's obviously like say out of towner uh inspired by type shit um so sure, sure. Yeah, i don't think that it's it's also different because like i think in your case when you're part of a band that's playing live like and you fuck up everybody everybody knows and it has an effect on how everybody is able to do their job right whereas with you know again like as you described like where there's there's kind of room for everybody in electronic music to to produce kind of in their bedroom and then come out and be like hey here's what i did right um and no one else is gonna no one else's day is gonna be fucked up because you did that <laughs> whereas like if you're if you're in the band and yeah you got to do a hot 20 and then go to the next show like <laughs> and you're and you're off and you're fucking up it's like yeah i can imagine someone would come up to you and tell you because you would you would at that point really need to know i'm sure oh yeah and you know there, there were definitely a lot of early experiences where someone takes the sticks away from you and is like this is how you do it and it's you know and honestly even though a lot of it was brutal i mean it was really coming from a place of 
uh, a weird place of love or uh, or recognizing like the respect for the musics saying like hey like this music means a lot to us and if you're trying to do it you should be really doing it um and uh i at least i'm a person <laughs> who re- who responds well to that sort of uh like uh harsh criticism or maybe like semi-abusive instructional approach i know i know that doesn't apply to everybody (laughs) well if it's something important and you need to know like i was saying then it's the best right and if if the way that someone tells you is you know idiosyncratic to them and they're coming in real hot for whatever reason i mean as long as you get the info you know like they're at least they're willing to show you how to do it like that's the important part like definitely yeah i would say uh for me with club music uh, a big hurdle is that uh it's most of it's made in fruity loops if not all of it mm. unless like you kind of decide to move to la or whatever and start um trying to blow up there as an edm dj you'll probably switch to ableton but mm. um yeah most mostly it's like cracked versions of fruity loops and fruity loops has this, this specific feature or i guess setting that you can enable where in the step sequencer if you load in a sample you can op- open up the um, the setting and there's a little box you can check that um, just says uh, sample cuts itself, which is just about the same thing as like um, having just changing a sampler from stereo to mono or from legato or um, poly to mono, right? Mm-hmm. So in a mono, then in your sampler, when you play the next thing, the previous thing gets cut off and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's kind of how I have everything set up now, but I did not originally have it set up that way. And when Dizzy specifically was using Fruity Loops and showed me how to do it, I was like, holy shit, that's why everything, um, everything like fits in, slots in so well is because like there's these step sequencers that are like chopping everything perfectly, like right out of the box. And that's kind of how these guys are putting this shit together. And that's why my shit sounds so different, right? Um, and they're also compressing it differently and also sorts of stuff so like um yeah when i kind of found out what was causing the difference uh as far as i could tell between what i was listening to and what i was doing like yeah that made a huge difference um and no one told me i was fucking up but definitely like i was shown i had to be shown it was not one of those things where i just like reverse engineered it perfectly myself that's so interesting. So would you have like samples kind of bleeding over into each other before? Yeah. And just like everything sounding, um, uh, it just didn't pop. Like it's got to pop in a really particular way in order for it to, to make you feel like dancing. Um, and if it doesn't, then it just feels dead and you're just bored. Right. And yeah. dancers are fucking picky. So it's just, you know, you, you no one's going to care. They're just going to try and forget about it. Um, or just, it doesn't even register. Um, or, but yeah, if it pops in a really specific way, and it's you know it's it's uh, it's fine times have you been to uh japan uh three yeah my third time was in december 
And was it always for um, for music? Uh, the first time it was for music. The second time I went, kind of to uh, kind of as a vacation, and kind of kind of as like a, an attempt to recapture how fucking awesome the first time I went was. And it didn't work. And actually, that was a really valuable experience mm-hmm. to have um, and to get to know the city a little bit more. Because you know, like Tokyo is a really interesting place, but again, it's like one of those huge mega cities that like will fucking really brutal you like really wear you down um you know it's like people that are like i'm gonna move to new york because that's the solution to all my problems and then they're there for three years and they're like i'm sick in new york i'm completely burnt out um and then the last time i went was for music and it was fucking awesome um but it's you know i go for music and i go for uh architecture like uh the architecture is the other big thing just taking fun That's cool. Um, do you speak any Japanese? No, I don't. And actually, uh, the last time I went was when I really started to feel like not speaking Japanese is fucking. It makes it, it's a bummer and it's it's boring. Like it's kind of it's 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 not that fun uh, being there and not being able to speak Japanese. I mean, there's absolutely no obstacles to like getting all the essentials done and having a good time. And like a lot of my friends there speak serviceable english and every time i go back they've learned a little bit more english than the last time i talked to them but you know it's just lame it's just kind of lame you show up and you're just a dead you're just dead (laughs) dead on arrival but you just sort of have to look at people and like you have no idea what to do so uh it limits your options i i just have no time to learn it though so that'll probably be the case for for the foreseeable future yeah man Cool. Well, Ao, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, man. Thanks. I'm sorry I fucking dragged this out so long and it was such a hassle, but uh, I was. I'm very. I'm very happy to be on here. And um, yeah, I'm gonna be. Uh, we're recording some more prep the cup tonight. So hopefully, like I just skipped last week, so there's no new episodes. But we'll, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're gonna get that wrapped up and out <laughs> to right, you I'm... next time. You know, on tomorrow. <laughs> Sick. Um, yeah, yeah, I might as well say it again on here since uh, I said it last time. But um, yeah, you also have a podcast called Prep the Cup, which is, you know, I like to say it's my favorite thing that I can't actually share with anyone because it feels like this very insular world of you and your friends. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it feels uh, in some ways to me like when I get into like a niche style of music like we've been talking about and you really have to figure out the vocabulary and why uh, and the aesthetic values of what makes it work and what these people are into which uh which i love but uh, yeah i know is definitely not for everybody yeah but at the same time it's real shit like we're not lying like you watched a magnolia and homie got wet as fuck and loves a warm <laughs> cup i mean it's real it's out there <laughs> once yeah. you know it you start to see it that's what people who like find the show and then binge it and talk to me about it are just like yeah i mean everything that you guys say are things that we're saying now because it's true <laughs> so i appreciate you uh getting past getting over the hump and uh you know yeah <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man.